Well, good morning. Man, I'm, I'm getting pumped up worshiping with this side over here. I mean, <laughs> all of y'all, this is great. I mean, praise God for this. Um, you know, and I, part of me, I was sitting there listening to worship. I'm like, I don't, even need, I don't think I need to say anything. <laughs> I feel like you know, we're already worshiping the Lord. Praise God, okay? But I'm going to do my best, all right? We're just going to keep worshiping as we jump in again this morning. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off before Easter. And so we'll be back in First Peter today. And so if you want to go ahead and open to chapter 3 of 1 Peter, we're going to be in verses 8 through 12. Um, but I hope you all had a blessed Easter weekend. Um, and we, we had a busy weekend here at Wayside. Okay, we had 10, servant, 10 services, if you include Good Friday. And so um, we were going nonstop last weekend. But it was a worshipful, worshipful weekend because he is risen. <laughs> um, it's like we can only say he's risen indeed if it's Easter, okay? But it's okay. Um, <laughs> But during Easter, we always have quite a few people um, who, they're not really involved in the church, not active in the church, uh, but they come on Christmas and Easter. We call them our CEOs, Christmas and Easter onlys. And, um, and if that's historically been you, if historically that's been you, you've only come to church on, on Easter and Christmas, but you're here right now, um, we just want to say as a church body, like we are so glad that you decided to come back. Um, we are so glad you decided to do so, not because... Um, we're hoping to fill the seats at Wayside, not because we want to pump the brand of Wayside, uh, but we firmly believe as we study the scriptures that God tells us that our purpose in this life is found within the community of believers called the church. Uh, we need the church. We need the church. And I think uh, one of the main things that God is teaching Christians in 2021, especially, especially here in America, because we are... One of the most, if not the most, individualistic generation of all time. And what I believe God is doing very intentionally during these days is he's teaching the church how to be the church again. He's saying, hey, this is what you're created for. It's to love one another. To love one another. I think that's what God is teaching us during this season, um, which is really one of the hardest things that you'll do in life because people are messy. <laughs> um, a lot of the times it's emotionally exhausting to love others. Um, and the challenging thing about following Jesus is he doesn't call us just to love those whom we easily get along with, but he calls us to love those who may be very different from us. And he doesn't just stop there. He actually encourages his followers to extend love to those who even hate us to those who insult and persecute us. And Jesus says, you're called to bless them. Because as imitators of Jesus, we're called to love even when it hurts. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but before we do, uh, we're all going to need to pray and beg God for humility, or we're not going to be able to apply what Peter tells us in chapter 3, myself included. And so let's take a moment just to come before the Lord, I want you to ask God. Say, God, would you humble me and would you help me to hear these words in First Peter? Let's do that right now, just silently, wherever you're at. And then if you would pray for me too, uh, it's been a busy week, and just pray that God would help my mind to stay focused during this time. Oh, Father, we trust you. Would you have your way? 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got five verses to cover, um, and I've got five main points to go with those five verses. I tried to think of some alliteration, and then I realized I was spending way too much time trying to figure that out, so I didn't. And so if you want to, you know, sit there and think about how to make this, you know, alliterated, go for it. Send me an email, okay? I did not do that, but I did my best. All right, let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Peter says this in verse 8. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. Well, Peter starts off with to sum up meaning he's concluding his section on respecting others, which is really what he's been doing uh, since chapter 2, verse 13. And so since then, he's been encouraging various groups of Christians within the church. And so if you go back to chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, he encourages believers. He says, hey, this is how you're supposed to relate to those who are in authority over you, especially the government. Then in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, He spoke to servants, and he says, hey, this is how, as believers in Christ, you're supposed to relate to your masters. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he spoke to Christian wives, and he says, as a a follower of Christ, this is how you're supposed to relate to your husband. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, he spoke to husbands about how to relate to their wives. And if you miss any of those sermons, we put them all online, so uh, go check them out. Or if you're like, yeah, I'd like to hear that again, well, then go on the website. Uh, But up until verse 8 of chapter 3, Peter has been addressing specific groups of people about certain issues. And the issue in today's text is not necessarily about how to relate to civil authorities or masters or husbands or wives. But the main issue that we have in our text is this. What kind of person should we be as we relate to others? And especially towards those who are hard to love. How do we love even when it hurts? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I got five points. Y'all ready? Okay, I got one yes, two yeses. All right, number one. Okay, number one is this. Check your attitude. That's verse eight. Peter says, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, compassionate, and humble. Notice that all five of these words are descriptions of what's on the inside. Peter says, before we start talking about the externals, I want to talk about your heart. Let's talk about your attitude. Because as believers in Christ, we're called to approach life with a certain type of attitude, and your attitude will unquestionably determine your actions. So let's briefly break down these five descriptions. I'm going to go over all five of these words that Peter gives us. He starts off by by telling the church, he says, all of you focus on being harmonious. He says, make harmony with one another. In order for harmony to occur, there's got to be cooperation. From a musical perspective, harmony involves a combination of notes being played simultaneously in a way that produces a pleasing sound. That's the picture here. 
That should represent the church. We don't all play the same instrument. We don't all sing the same tune, but we work together in order to produce beautiful music. In order to cooperate well, we got to have the right attitude. A simple application that all of us can ask ourselves is this. Does my personal attitude contribute or detract from the harmony of the local body that I'm a part of? Does my personal attitude, does it contribute to or detract from the harmony of the local body that I'm a part of? And you can ask that same question in regards to your family, your marriage, your workplace. Do I help create harmony or do I disrupt harmony in the spheres that I'm a part of? Now, the hard part about that is a lot of times we don't know if we're being disruptive or not. And so what we need to do is we need to ask people around us. We need to be bold. So if you're in a a marriage, you need to humbly and boldly ask your spouse, hey, do I contribute to harmony in our marriage? Do I help you to thrive? Don't do that right now or it might get awkward, okay? But at some point, (laughs) you need to do that. Or in your friend group, you need to ask them that same question. In the Bible study you're a part of, in your workplace, ask people, hey, do I contribute to harmony? If not, how can I work on that? Give me some pointers. And as a follower of Christ who imitates his humility, that's something we're called to do. Peter also says we should be sympathetic, which means to feel what others feel so that we can respond with sensitivity. It's the picture of suffering with another by entering into and sharing their feelings rather than having compassion from a distance. In order to grow in sympathy, We have to intentionally put ourselves in other people's shoes to understand where they're coming from so that we can fulfill the command that's in Galatians 6.2, which commands believers to carry one another's burdens. Uh, If you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, I don't know if we've got any Lord of the Rings fans in here. Anybody? One person? Two? Okay. 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 But in the final... Now we're getting somewhere. Okay. In the final movie, okay, in The Return of the King, you'll recall this one scene... Um, where Frodo, the main character, he's close to completing his task. He has this evil ring that he's got to destroy. And it's become a massive burden for him. And he gets to the point where he really just, he doesn't have any more energy to get up to the top of the mountain in order to destroy this ring. And so there's this really sentimental part where his best friend Sam, um, with tears in his eyes, looks at Frodo and he says, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry your burden." but I can carry you. I can carry you. And that's really supposed to be a picture of the church. Um, For all of us, every single person that's listening right now, we all have unique burdens that God has called us to bear. But we aren't to do it alone. Because there's some burdens in life that if you try to carry it alone, it will crush you. Because you don't have that type of strength. And that's why God gave us the church is so that we could come alongside one another and say, hey, I'm going to help you carry your burdens and you're going to help me carry mine. That's how we work in harmony. That's how we cooperate. That's how we express sympathy. Peter then encourages us to be brotherly, which in the Greek is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city known for brotherly love. That's what's being described here. As members of the church, we shouldn't view each other as strangers, but we should realize that in Christ, we all have the same father. We have one father, and we're family members because, because of it. We're family. Now, as most of you know, um, family can get really messy. 
there's some serious squabbles in most families, okay? Um, conflict always happens in family. But good families work through that conflict and they support one another regardless, and that's supposed to be true of the church as well. Peter then says to be kind-hearted, which means to feel affectionately, compassionately, and deeply for someone else. I love if you look at the word in the Greek, it, it reflects a feeling that's literally in your gut. It's a deep pain and yearning due to empathy for someone else's need. And if you read the Gospels, you'll often see that it was compassion that led Jesus to action. If you go back and read the account right before he feeds the 5,000, you'll see that Jesus and the disciples were actually trying to get away. They were tired. But then they looked and they saw thousands of people who were running ahead of them because they saw the disciples and they saw Jesus. And these hurting people were literally running on foot in order to beat Jesus and the disciples to where they were going. And when Jesus saw these people, it says that his heart broke and he had compassion for these people. And that compassion led him to provide for their physical needs. You see, it's hard to bolster up compassion from a distance. We've got to become proximate if we're going to grow in compassion. We've got to imitate Emmanuel, God with us. God didn't just sit up in the heavens, but he came down and he became proximate to us. And we're called to do the same thing with others. There's an old African proverb that goes like this. If the ear won't listen, show it to the eye. If the ear won't listen, show it to the eye. I remember a few years back, I went to Guatemala with a team of people from Wayside. And we went and ministered uh, to those who lived on a trash dump in Guatemala. And it's easy to hear about that and just kind of dismiss compassion because you can kind of let it go through one ear and out the other. But then when you go to that trash dump and you see trash that's piled up as tall as that wall right there, and you talk to these people who literally have nothing and they've got dirt floors and sheet metal walls. And they live on the bare minimum. And when you hear their stories, and when you look them in the eye, and when you give them a hug, you can't unsee that. It affects you. It affects you deep inside of who you are. You can't unsee it. It changes you. If you want to grow in compassion then you've got to be willing to get outside of your bubble and you've got to get in the dirt of other people's lives because that's what Jesus did. And we're called to do the same thing with others. And then finally, Peter says, be humble in spirit, which is someone who's willing to place someone else's interests and needs before their own. You've probably heard, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, rather, uh, it's thinking of yourself less. It's being willing to serve God first, to value others above yourself. Um, It's asking yourself the question, when you wake up each morning, how can I add value to other people? How can I add value to other people today? Not in order to people, please. Not so that you may look awesome, but how can I value others and showcase that so that they may taste the value that they have in God's eyes? That's the mark of those who are humble in spirit. Now, let me remind all of us that if we try to um, bolster up the strength to do these um, attributes on our own, we're going to fail miserably. Okay? We need God's help in order to develop these attitudes. And so that becomes our daily prayer. 
We wake up in the morning, we get on our knees, and we say, God, please, I'm begging you, would you help me not to be prone to turn to myself? Give me strength to love like Jesus. And the good news is that God loves to answer that type of prayer. And if you'll pray it authentically, he'll provide you the strength that you need in order to do so. All right, we've only gotten through one verse. Let's keep going. (laughs) So how should we relate to others? Number one, check your attitude. And then number two, forgive, don't retaliate. That's verse nine. Peter says, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Okay, I love how Warren Worsby puts it. He says this, as Christians, we can live on one of three levels. We can return evil for good, which is the satanic level. We can return evil for evil, which is the human level. Or we can return good for evil, which is the divine level. You see, it's natural to want to get even. When someone disrespects you, to want revenge when you've been wronged. In fact, how many of you, when when someone's done you wrong, have you ever daydreamed about just telling them off? (laughs) Just me? (laughs) Okay. It feels good, right? Like in your mind, you're just letting them have it, okay? Or maybe you do it out loud while you're in your car. (laughs) But it's natural to want to get even when someone disrespects you. And the way that revenge manifests itself in our lives is often through the avenue of unforgiveness because the temptation of unforgiveness is that it offers us power. So when, when someone hurts us, when someone crosses us, We can showcase our power by refusing to forgive them, by thinking negatively of them, by hoping the worst for them. If someone makes us feel insecure, we can gossip about them behind their back. We can try and slander their name. Or we can showcase our power by ignoring their very existence. And our culture often celebrates that type of mentality. It's actually a form of entertainment for a lot of us. But the problem with that line of thinking is it's completely contrary to everything that Jesus stood for. Because you can't hold on to Christ and then at the same time hold on to unforgiveness. You have to let go of one. You either let go of Christ and hold on to unforgiveness or you hold on to Christ and you let go of unforgiveness. Those are your only two options. And some of you would be like, okay, Pastor, where are you getting that from? So let me read you a verse. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus tells his followers, he says, as you pray to your father, this is how you're going to pray. Say, Father, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There it is. It's one continuous thought. You can't separate the two. You can't cling to the gospel and then also cling to its opposite. And then if you scroll down a few more verses, in Matthew 6, 14, there's a super encouraging verse that says this. For if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's a tough word, isn't it? Now, Jesus is not saying that in order to be justified, you've got to forgive others. The Lord's prayer is not about how to enter into a relationship with God. Jesus doesn't say, read this prayer and you'll be saved. Instead, what Jesus is saying is this. 
as one who has been justified, as one who has a relationship with God, this is how you are to conduct your life on a daily basis. As someone who's been redeemed, this is what the redeemed life looks like. Because for those of us who actually understand and get grace, we will naturally grant that to others. Because a forgiven people, forgive. A forgiven people, forgive. When you truly understand how broken you are and how much you deserve punishment, yet God graciously gives you everything through Christ, forgives you of all of your sins, when you taste that to the core, you'll give it to other people. You'll give it to other people. But one of the primary ways that we can bless others who hurt us is by forgiving them. Now, I need to point out that overcoming unforgiveness is not a one-time deal. Um, It is a lifetime process. For the believer in Christ, it's a daily grind. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That is a daily prayer. It's a continual dying to yourself, lifelong process. But for those of us who've been granted grace, we've been called to grant that to others. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, every man should give away according to what he has. He who gives curses probably gives them because he has so much cursing in him. You can always tell what a man is like by noticing what comes from him. If he curses, it is because curses abound in him. But you are to give blessing to others because you have inherited so much blessing from Christ. Your whole tone, temper, spirit, language, action should be the means of blessing to others. That's how we're called to live. It's not easy. But it's Christ-like and it's what we strive for. Is there anyone in your life who's caused you pain lately? Anyone that's hurt you? Will you be like Jesus and will you pray for them? And some of you are like, yeah, I'll pray for them. I'll pray God's going to curse them. <laughs> Not that type of prayer. But will you pray for your enemy? Will you pray for those who insult you and say, God, would you bless them? Would you help them to taste your goodness, God? Would you show them your grace? That's a hard prayer to pray when you're hurting. But it's the same prayer that Jesus prayed for us while he was up on that cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we're called to do the same. So how should we relate to others? Number one, check your attitude. Number two, forgive, don't retaliate. And number three, an easy one, control your tongue. That's verse 10. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Um, You can probably tell by looking in your Bibles that the writing style has changed in verses 10 through 12. And that's because Peter's quoting from Psalm 34. He uses Psalm 34 to elaborate on what he has just said. And it's interesting, the psalmist in Psalm 34 is describing the good life. He says, if you want to live a long and happy life, control your tongue. Control your tongue. This word deceit literally refers to a fish hook or a trap. It's someone who uses their words to deliberately mislead, trick, or snare others. It's when we gossip and slander about others with the hope of elevating ourselves. In the book of James, chapter 3, James says this about the tongue. In verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life and it is set on fire by hell. 
For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Man, no wonder in Psalm 141 verse 3, the psalmist fervently prays. He says, oh God, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Um, I've known in my own life, and I've seen this, that some of the most regrettable moments in my life have been times when I have not controlled my tongue. And often those regrettable moments have come on the heels of conflict, times where I've been confronted, whether that confrontation is justified or not. It's when I'm feeling insecure, and my natural fallen tendency is to snap back, to retaliate. And I've seen full well in my life how powerfully destructive my tongue can be. And if I'm not careful, if I don't intentionally try to control my tongue, I will burn down every relationship that's in my life. I know that about myself. Yet as a preacher, I also realize how powerfully constructive my tongue can be if I will submit it to the Lord and use it to bless other people. And the same is true for you. And Peter reminds us, he says, if we desire to enjoy life and good days, control that tongue. And as believers in Christ who have been called to bless others and not curse, we make Psalm 141.3 our prayer. Father in heaven, give me grace to control my tongue. So how should we relate to others? Number one, check your attitude. Number two, forgive, don't retaliate. Number three, control your tongue. And number four, flee evil and do good. That's verse 11. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Take note of how Peter's interweaving everything together. He says, focus on your attitude. Seek harmony with others. Instead of retaliating, forgive. Choose to bless others instead of insulting them. In order to do that, you've got to control your tongue. And then in verse 11, Peter continues this thought. He uses the psalmist's words to support what he's just said. He says, refrain from speaking evil, but instead do good. Pursue peace instead of division. As you think about the sinful tendencies in your own life, and we've all got them. As you think about those sinful tendencies, we have to ask ourselves, how can I intentionally turn away from these sins? Um, There's an an old priest by the name of St. Benedict. And he was known that when he was going on walks in the woods, if he had a lustful thought in his mind, he would immediately find a thorn bush and he would throw himself in the thorn bush. Um, If that works, go for it. I'm not recommending it. Um, But I want you to listen to Jesus' words. He, He says this. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And I don't think Jesus is telling us to dismember our bodies, but what I do think Jesus is saying is you've got to take your sin seriously. It's not just going to magically go away. You're going to have to walk with God, put some practices in place so that you can overcome this sin by God's grace. If certain people cause you to sin, quit hanging out with them. If certain situations cause you to sin, get out of that situation. We've got to be intentional about this. But our goal in life is not just to avoid doing bad things. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of church folk think. 
As long as I'm not doing these certain sins, I'm good. As long as I don't do this stuff that those pagans do, I'm good. But if that's your thinking, you're missing the point because that's not what God is looking for. What he's looking for is that you would flee evil and do good. He wants you to replace sin with righteousness. So it's not just stop gossiping, it's stop gossiping and then bless others with your words. Don't just stop looking at pornography. Stop looking at pornography and then think of ways to serve and worship the Lord. How can you replace this sinful habit with a godly one? That's what God is looking for. That's the way of Christ. And then look at what the psalmist says. He says, seek peace and pursue it. Don't just merely prefer peace, but yearn for it. Chase after it. Make it your pursuit. And if you study biblical peace, it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. And that's one of the greatest gifts that Jesus came to bring his people. It was peace. I was just talking to somebody in our church the other day, and they said, you know, I think that's what we're all looking for. We just want peace. And that's what Jesus came to give us. Jesus says this in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's why Jesus came, so that we may have peace. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with other people. Now, I realize we can't be at peace with everybody. I'm fully aware of Romans 12, 18, where it says, if possible, be at peace with all people. For some people, it ain't possible. Okay? And somebody's like, yeah, I've got some in-laws where I feel this way towards. (laughs) For some people, it's not possible because in order for peace to happen, both parties have to want it. And some people don't want it, which is why Peter says our only job is to pursue peace. We can't force peace to happen, but we can offer peace. And that's all God calls you to do. God says, at least try. Make an effort to be at peace with others. So how do we relate to others? Check your attitude. Forgive, don't retaliate. Control your tongue. Flee evil and do good. And finally, fear God, not man. That's verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, some of you may be wondering right now, like, why should I care about this? Why should I be motivated to have the right attitude? Why should I be motivated when someone does me wrong to forgive them and to respond in the right way? Well, according to verse 12, you should be motivated because God is watching. He's watching. God is the very definition of a helicopter parent. He's always around. His eyes and his ears are constantly upon the righteous. But notice, notice this, that God watches us closely, not in order to condemn us, but to assist us, to help us. A lot of us, we can't help but think about God like we viewed our earthly father. And for some of you, you grew up and the only way you pictured your dad is just, your dad was just, he's going to jump on you whenever you did wrong. He was just waiting for you to do wrong and then he would rebuke the tar out of you. And, and we view God in that same light. We, we think that God's up there as his angry dad. He's disappointed in us. And every time we fall, he just shames us. But that's not what we see in this text. 
That's not what we see about the God of the Bible for those of us that have trusted in Christ. What we see here is that God is constantly watching us, not in order to condemn us, but in order that he may know exactly how we're doing so that he can perfectly come alongside us and meet our needs. That's what verse 12 is telling us. Why is God looking at you so intensely? It's because he wants to help you. He wants to listen to your prayer and he wants to come alongside of you. Isn't that beautiful? So the reason you should be so motivated to have the right attitude, to forgive others, to control your tongue, to do good instead of evil, the reason you should do all these things, even if you're being persecuted, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, is because our God's watching you. He's watching you and he's gonna help you and he's gonna meet your every need if you trust him. That's our motivation. And then naturally, the question is this. Well, what if my enemies take advantage of me? What if I offer peace and then people just walk all over me and they continue to hurt me and insult me? Well, look at what Peter says as he quotes Psalm 34. He says, don't fret. God's got you. He sees what you're going through and he's going to give you strength to keep going and he is going to deal with those who hurt you. One day... When God makes all things right, justice will come for those who do not repent and, and receive the offer of peace that is given to us in Christ. God will punish. For Romans 12 says this, vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. So don't you fear men. Don't be intimidated by those who seek to do you wrong. You just be faithful. Have the right attitude. Forgive those who hurt you, control your tongue, flee evil and do good, and fear God, not man, for God is watching you, and he will supply your every need. And that's what we're reminded of today as we come to the communion table. And so if you're watching online, um, I'm about to lead us in communion. So if you haven't gathered those elements, go now. If you're here in person and you haven't gathered those elements, go now. Um, But if you would, just go ahead and and take that cup. And if you would peel back that top layer and then go ahead and peel back the other layer um, in order to access the juice. But as you're opening, and and before we even get into communion, I want to give you a moment just to come before God because the last thing God wants us to do is just to go through the motions with communion. And so I want you to do, as you, as you open up the bread and you've got the, the juice, I want you to think about the sacrifice that God made for you. That even though you weren't worth forgiving because of your sins, God forgave you anyways because he loves you. And I want you to contemplate on that. Some of you are struggling. This has been a hard week and you've fallen into some sin. I want you to know right now God's forgiven you if you trust in Jesus. And then I also want you to think about, so for some of us, it's easy to accept forgiveness for ourselves, but it's hard for us to offer forgiveness to others. And so maybe during this time, I want you to think about someone who's hurt you, someone who's insulted you, someone who's treated you the way that you know you, you don't deserve to be treated that way. And I want you to think about the blood that Jesus spilled on that cross. I want you to realize he, he died for them too. And so maybe during this time, I want you to pray for that person and ask that they would taste the forgiveness of Christ. And then I'm going to lead us here in a minute. So I want you to take just 30 seconds or so just to come before the Lord and think about those things.
Well, what I love about communion is that when we take it, we take it as a body. We don't just take communion in our closet by ourselves. We take it as a church because Christ didn't just die for me. He died for us so that we could be family. And God desires that his family would be just like First Peter says, that we'd be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And for those of us in Christ, we know that because of Jesus, we will one day inherit a glorious eternal blessing because of the grace that he's lavished on us. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And then we're also reminded as we think about communion, as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made, that we as forgiven people, we have been called to forgive and show that to others. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, the body of Christ, take and eat. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, the blood of Christ, take and drink. And if you would, bow with me one last time to pray. Well, Father, as we take communion, we're reminded again of how unworthy we are. As we celebrated last week, Good Friday, as we think about the horror of the cross, what Jesus was willing to do on our behalf, we can't comprehend, God. In fact, it's easier just not to think about it because it's so heavy. But we're reminded as we take this juice and we eat this bread that you willingly gave yourself up for us because you loved us. You loved us so that we could start over, so we could experience forgiveness. And in the same way, we've been called to do that with others. God, give us strength to do that. Help us, Lord, we need you. We can't do this on our own. But we're grateful that your spirit promises to come alongside us and help us in every way. And we rest in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you online, thanks for joining us. And I hope you'll have a blessed week.